0: To the book of Revelation, chapter 15, and we'll continue on through this incredible book and this really incredible passage of, of Scripture. This is the seventh week. You'll see at the top of your study sheet that we've been talking about the great and marvelous wrath of God. We feel like for those that are visiting uh with us. We always need to just qualify that. You know, normally when we talk about something in relation to God being great and marvelous, normally we don't hold up His wrath. Normally we hold up the fact that God is a God of love. And above everything else, we want to make sure that you understand that fully. Now, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God, and that is just as true as the fact that God is love. But we don't want to make anybody misunderstand. The God of the Bible... Is not sitting up in heaven just waiting to blast you. In fact, what he has done is manifested his love and his grace and mercy and the fact that he is long suffering and patient and tender hearted and compassionate. He has manifested that every which way but loose and especially through the sacrifice, as Frank talked about just a minute ago, through the sacrifice of his son. But. In the whole scheme of things, what's getting ready to happen on this planet in the not-too-distant future is those that have placed their faith in, and their trust solely in Jesus Christ and Him alone, it is a group of people that is going to be removed off of the face of this planet. It's what we refer to as the rapture. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It's found in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4. And verse 1, where John, is a picture of the church, is here's a voice, there's a trumpet, and he is taken off of the earth and moved into the presence of God. That's what's getting ready to happen on this planet to those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. That is going to move us into a period of time, biblically, that is called the 70th week of Daniel. Okay? We're not going to go into the depth of all of that, but what it is, is a week of years. In other words, seven years that God refers to as a time of tribulation on this planet and somewhere right at the close of the tribulation period is where we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 15 and what John is having revealed to him is a great and marvelous sign that sign is defined for us in this passage as the wrath of Almighty God and what we find in verse one is that though God has been manifesting His love and grace and mercy and tenderheartedness and compassion and every other wonderful word that you can find in the dictionary, while God has been manifesting that, because God is holy, something else has been going on. Because He is holy, He is against anything that is unholy. According to Romans 1.18, He's against... And his wrath will be poured out against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. But God has just continuously been saying to man, I want to have a relationship with you. But we come to a point in the the tribulation period where man has finally exhibited his final rebellion against God, and God says, that's it. And oh my goodness, When the Holy Almighty God says that's it, it's it's just incredible. In fact, what God is going to manifest and what is going to be revealed as far as His wrath is going to pick up in chapter sixteen. I wish we had time to, for those of you that are unfamiliar with it, to just kind of hit some of those things so you can see it's it's absolutely devastating. And it's almost like chapter 15 sits in the Bible as a a preface to what John is about to see when God's wrath is actually manifested. And I'll just be honest with you, it serves as a great preface for those of us that are living in this period of time on this planet referred to biblically according to Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 22 as the Laodicean church period where we are neither hot nor cold, we're lukewarm, where Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking, wanting to come in, where we think we're better than we are, and all of those things. We're at that period of time, the word Laodicea, we've talked about it so many times before, means the rights of the the people. We want to go to a church that's going to suit our needs and our little family and all that kind of stuff. We want what's in this Christianity thing. We want what's in it for us. Forget about what God is worthy of. What is he going to give us? And for those of us that are living in that period of time, we need Revelation chapter 15 to just get us ready for what we're about to see. And what John does is he allows us, first of all, as he unveils this great and marvelous sign in heaven he allows us to look at the scene we looked at the seven angels who have the seven plagues and in them is filled up the wrath of God and then we began to look at a group of people that is there around the throne that's not us in this passage these are tribulation saints these are those that have had victory over the Antichrist during the tribulation period so seven angels and seven plagues And then he gives us a sevenfold description of this throng. And then he allows us to listen to the song that this group of people is singing. A song of of praise, a a song of victory. It's the song of Moses. It's it's the song of the Lamb. We looked at the words of the song and the reason for the song. And then we come in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 5. In verse 5 of Revelation 15, look at it he says and after that i looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. and some of you guys that are training in our shepherd school ministry i'm just waiting for one of y'all to go somewhere and name your church that this is the the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony baptist church If you move to the south, like we talked about last week, be a great title. They love those long titles down there. But what we see here is the opening, he says, of the temple, of the tabernacle, of the testimony in heaven. And this is what led us last week into this whole discussion that Frank was talking about just a few minutes ago of this tabernacle. And we look, first of all, at the purpose of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and we went to the book of Exodus, and what we began to see here is that the God of the Bible is, I, I, I don't, don't have the, the way to be able to communicate this to you. If I took the whole rest of the time to just try to get this, this thought through to you, I, I couldn't do it. He is so merciful. He is so gracious. When you open the Bible and you come into Genesis when he creates the first man and the first woman, what you find is he created them to have a love relationship with him. And in the cool of the day, according to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, they walked in perfect fellowship with one another. God, on a daily basis, met with his creation and he communed with them. He fellowshipped with them man chose the way of sin god comes along in the old testament in that wilderness with that tabernacle and he says "Listen, i still want to meet with you and i still want to commune with you and all the way through you can see the references there on your study sheet all the way through as he begins to describe the tabernacle he tells us what the purpose of that is It was the meeting place with God. It was the place where man could come and commune with the Holy God of the Bible. But not just the purpose, we also looked at the prototype of that tabernacle in the Old Testament. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, chapter 9, what he begins to go through and make sure that we understand Is that tabernacle in the Old Testament was built, as Frank talked about just a minute ago, according to a pattern. The pattern was a, now listen, it was a true tabernacle that was in heaven. There was a real one up in heaven that Moses couldn't see, and evidently what God did is he says, Now listen, I've given you the blueprints here, and this one is just like That one, but this one that you're going to build, understand, Moe, it's just a, a real lousy replica of what's up there because all you got is this finite stuff to be working with and building this thing, but it'll serve the purpose. And, oh, buddy, it did. It was an incredible purpose like we just talked about. It was the meeting place with God. It was the place where man communed. But there was a real tabernacle that was in heaven. And then we talked about the, the pictures, and Frank did just a, a beautiful job this morning uh, of helping us with that. And, and maybe you know, there's on the, the other side, I don't want to get you too confused, but the other side of your study sheet, for those of you that may be seeing this tabernacle for the first time, there is uh, uh, an artist's rendition, if you will, of what this thing would have looked like. And you know what? It's, as I was thinking about this thing this week, th- this room is... it's a it's a pretty graphic illustration of this thing okay Frank talked about the fact that there's three parts to this okay now right right down here where this first step is let let's just call that the entrance to the tabernacle okay so I'm out here I'm outside of the tabernacle right now and I'm gonna come through that silver curtain that he talked about into the tabernacle and BAM right there is the brazen altar this is where the sacrifice was made. You've got to, if you're going to enter into the tabernacle, you've got to come offering a sacrifice. We come to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, and what it does is it talks about how in the Old Testament that high priest would come in year after year after year. He would offer these sacrifices that never could fully do the job. All they could do is just put, be a, a covering over sin. Jesus Christ came, and on his cross... What he did is he once and for all removed sin from us. So if you're going to be in Christ, you're going to come to the cross. And you see, what this this is on a daily basis for us, y'all, is God is inviting us to meet with him. God is inviting us to commune with him. We come in to the tabernacle and we're met first of all with the brazen altar now we've already been to the cross but you see what Jesus says to us is that we are to deny ourself and take up our our cross and follow him and so on a daily basis what we do is we come into the presence of God not because this is what good Christians do good Christians have their daily devotions no we come into God's presence because God wants to meet with trash like me and you he wants to commune he wants to fellowship and and we come to this altar and what we do is we present our bodies a living sacrifice and we lay ourselves down Upon his cross. You see how that you see that? It, it's, it's the place that we come on a daily basis. And we lay ourselves down and in submission and surrender to him. We we lay ourselves down, we lay our, our feet and we extend to him our, our feet to receive the nails that will crucify our way on this day and we lay ourselves back and extend our arms and we open our hands to receive the nails that will crucify our work because again you've got to understand this whole christian life thing is not about us working for God it's all about dying and God working through us so we come to this altar of sacrifice we say oh God not my way I want to go your way today I don't want this to be my work I want you to work through me and I bow my head to receive the crown of thorns that will crucify my words my will I surrender all that I am to you my way my work my words my will And in death, I die so the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ can be made alive in me as I go through this day. We come from the altar of sacrifice, as Frank said, to the brazen labor. This is a place of of washing. It's it's made of mirrors. In Ephesians chapter 5, what it talks about the fact is that What God did in saving us is He wanted to take all of the spot and the blemishes that get on us. Oh yeah, man, we've come to Christ and and we've been forgiven of our sins, but you know how it is as you walk through this world, you get get that dust all over your feet and you get all this world clinging on to your hands and God has a, a place over here that's made of mirrors. The Bible talks about the fact that he washes us with the, the washing of the water of the Word. It talks about the fact that the Word of God is a mirror. And what it does is it allows us, as we are here, to see all of that stuff that's clinging on to us. And we allow the Word of God to wash us. And, and as we're moving from this, this place of sacrifice, we're coming and we're saying, Oh God, thank you so much for the pure word of God that you've given to me a word that's been purified seven times that is the mirror that allows me to see what you see so that you can wash that from my life now this is all that outer court okay we got this entrance here we're met with the altar of sacrifice the the brazen altar then we come to the the brazen labor the, the place of washing and now we enter into the holy place it's what's beyond here. And w- w- we talked about the fact that there is this, this table of bread on this side. There is this seven-branch uh, candlestick over on this side. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world. And we come into this place, and the light of God reveals to us the bread of life, and we feed ourselves on the word of god to sustain our souls as the word of god is beginning to do that inside of us something's going on you see the the light over here in this candlestick has oil in it you see we have the oil of the holy spirit in us and as we allow the word of god and the spirit of god to find a place of preeminence in our life what begins to happen is we begin to shine philippians chapter 2 and verse 15 we begin to shine as lights in the world M- Matthew chapter 5 we become the light of the world and we have a testimony in this world and then we're brought right here to the 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 altar of incense and this is where the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that intercedes for us and we're brought to this place and reminded of the fact that he came to this planet and was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And according to the book of Hebrews, that He lives to make intercession for us. And we we come into His presence at this place. And we intercede, we, we bring to Him the things that are going on in our world, the things that are going on in our life, the things that are going on in our kids' lives, in the lives of the people around us. We come into this place, and as we are, As we come to this place, he invites us to come even further into another place. I was thinking today, about ten more years, and I'll be asking for a a stepladder to be able to do that. (laughs) But we come to this place, and what's this, y'all? It's the veil, okay? On the other side of that is the ark, and on the top of that is the mercy seat. And it is the presence of God. It is the holy of holies. And that's where, that's where He wants us to be. That's where we are permitted to be. But let me just tell you, there are, in the time that we live in right now, this Laodicean Church period, again described for us in Revelation 3, 14 to 22, there are very few people that ever make it really into the the presence of God. And and, and let let me show you practically what I'm talking about, about these few that actually make it into the presence of God. What, What I've tried to do is just take different things that the Bible talks about and I want to try to relate that to these three areas that we're talking about of of the tabernacle, okay? This part out here is, look up here, this part out here is called what, y'all? It's the outer court, okay? We come into this place and this is the this is the holy place and what is that beyond the veil? Okay, the holy of holies, okay? Now, Now let's just start working through this thing and talking about the levels of spiritual growth. In first John chapter two, in fact why don't you turn back there? First John chapter two. Frank turned us on to this at our pastor's meeting the other day, this the levels of spiritual growth and how it applies to the tabernacle. And I just was meditating on that through the week and wow, there's just so many things that relate to these three Areas of the tabernacle to basically every area of the Christian life. Okay, first of all, look in First John chapter two, and verse twelve. He says, "I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake." Now, for those of you maybe newer to the Bible, He's not talking about, "Okay, now kiddies, I'm writing to you here." No, He's talking about levels of spiritual growth. This first group are little children. That's what goes into the top line on. In that outer court, there are some folks, and this is where they are in their Christian life. It's not a bad place to be. It's a good place. It's, it's a beginning place. You, you go from being a, a little baby spiritually, when you're born into God's family, to being brought to a, a place where spiritually, you are a little child. You know how you know that you move from being a baby spiritually to becoming a little child? He tells you, in verse 12, "You come to the place that you know that your sins are forgiven. In other words, you know that you're saved. That's on your sheet there, y'all. You, these people that are in this level, they know that they're saved, but they do have a problem at this level. They're very susceptible to false doctrine because the Word of God doesn't yet abide in them. They just know that they're saved. They're in that outer court, if you will. Then there is another level of spiritual growth that he talks about it's in the middle of Verse 13. He says, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And so you move from being a little child into this next level where you become a spiritual young man. And what he says, look in the middle of verse 13, you've overcome the wicked one. Look in the middle of verse 14. He says, I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abideth in you. Now, those that are little children they know they're saved it's a great thing those that have moved on in their christian life to this next level these are people who know the word of god and oh my goodness this is a great place to be but when you are at that place in your life where you've begun to understand some things about the word of god you can make your way around there you've overcome him because of the you're no longer susceptible to those false doctrines what begins to happen is the same thing that happens to physical young men. You begin to think you're something. And so spiritually what you begin to do is you begin to walk around the mall doing this. You looking at me? You want to mess with this? Bring it on then. You be you're susceptible to pride. You think spiritually you are something and you just you just want somebody to be able to rip your your clo- coat off to show them how muscular you are man that's that's a, young men it's it's spiritual young men susceptible to pride now most churches would love to have people that are at this place in their christian life where they've come to the place to where they understand that book and they're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that's out there. They'd be grinning to have that. But even then, that's not where God wants us. Oh, yeah, it's a great place to be. It's wonderful. It's a great level of growth. But there's another level. And this is found at the beginning of verse 13. He says, I write unto you fathers. Now now watch this. Okay, would you look, look up here one time? Little children know they're saved. Young men know the Word of God. Fathers that have made it into that next level, you've got to love what he says here. You have known Him that is from the beginning. Young men know the Word of God spiritual fathers know the God of the Word. They know Him. And because they do, you know what they're susceptible to? Persecution. Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And these are people that they're living a godly life. They don't just know about God they know him and for all of us that may think that we have arrived into that place can I just remind you that what Paul prayed in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 was that I may that I may know him Yeah, I'm to the point where I'm starting to learn a lot of stuff about this book and I'm seeing how this thing comes together but oh, what I really want is I want to know him I want to I want to go into that that next level, okay? So we can see these three levels when it comes to spiritual growth. Now, I'll, I'll try to move this along a little bit quicker. We will have to if we're going to make it through this morning. But Let's talk about the, the twelve disciples. There is also in them an unbelievable illustration of these three designations within the tabernacle. I don't know for sure exactly what you want to put on that first line there in the outer court. Why don't you put the 12? But then put in parentheses next to that the 11. Okay? And I'll show you why here in just a, a second. But here's the 12. And you know the way the thing came down. He calls them out. And what these men do is they begin to experience a relationship with Christ. It's the same thing for all of us that are in this room this morning that know the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with him. We were born into that relationship through what he did at the cross. But this right here is as far as most will ever go. It's on your sheet. It's as far as most will ever go and I want you to understand something now and make sure you hear that because some of you right now are content just because you got saved and you're not understanding this is great wonderful you're saved but this is not the end being saved was just the beginning and here you've got the 12 okay and the reason I say 11 is because one of them never did actually make it into Christ. You understand that? Judas, who was a devil from the beginning. So, but just so that we can keep it clear in our minds, we got the twelve. They have a relationship with Christ. But then there's another group of people. We call these guys the three. Okay? And the three, can you say it with me? They are Peter, James, and John. That's what goes under those parentheses there. All right? Peter, James, and John. And if you just begin to go through, what you begin to find out about this group of people is they had a different relationship with Christ than the others had. These three were at places where they should have been at key times in, in the ministry of Jesus. You remember in Matthew chapter 17, at the transfigura- transfiguration, what he does is he says, all right, fellas, now, how'd you like to be one of the fellas when he says, uh, all right, fellas, uh, Peter, James, and John, why don't you come here for a second? That's the kind of relationship that he had with these three. He goes up into the mount and he begins to reveal himself to them and what you begin to see is the Word of God reveals himself, rolls back himself to reveal himself as the the light Of God and these men are able to 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 see that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's going to be betrayed Here's the 12 and he says uh, Peter James John Come here He brings these guys a little further has a little huddle with them Let me get over here Has a little huddle with them and what you begin to find is these are people that don't just have a, a relationship with him these are people who have genuine fellowship with Christ. Genuine fellowship with Christ. But even, even then, even though there were three, there was the one. The one. And that, of course, was, say it, it was John. Even though those three had a genuine fellowship that they experienced beyond just a relationship with Christ, John was one that made his way into that next level. And what you begin to see about John is on that night when he was eating that supper and Jesus looks at those, that group of men and he says, one of you are going to betray me. And all of them begin to ask, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? John doesn't ask that question. John asks in John chapter 13, Lord, who is it? He didn't know who it was, but he knew who it wasn't. It wasn't going to be him. And when all the sheep had scattered at the cross, Jesus looks down in one of his final sayings on that cross, and he looks down, and he sees Mary, and he sees John. And he says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. And he gives them to each other. John is the one. He's right where he's supposed to be. And if we're going to understand this thing relative to the Christian life, let me just ask you this morning, where are you? Are you in this outer court where you're saved? You have a relationship? Understand, some of you are, I'm not being cold, but you're like Judas. You're on the outside here. You've not even walked in to receive Jesus Christ so that you're in the tabernacle. But do you have a relationship with Christ? Or have you grown to the place to where you experience genuine fellowship with Him? Or are you like John in that next level where you experience real intimacy with Christ? Intimacy with Him. We could work this same thing through spiritual generations. You go back into the Old Testament, the book of Judges, the book of Joshua. Frank has, has taught this here in times past. But what you begin to see is in spiritual generations, you can see these three uh, designations within the tabernacle. The first group that's in that outer court are people who know God, but they don't know His works. They know God, but they don't know His works. And, And listen, there's some of you that are here today and you've been born again. For some of you, that was six weeks ago. For some of you, it was six months ago. For some of you, it was... Six years ago for some of you. It was 60 years ago. But some of you have never moved from that place. You know God, but you don't know His works. You've never really seen how the God of the universe wants to invade your life and begin to work incredible miracles all around you. And I'm not talking about the trash you see on TV. I'm talking about real-life daily miracles where God is at work in your life. Typically, the people that are, fall into this category are people who are third-generation Christians. I, I, at least in the, the, the way that it would come down, I'm not saying that I, I'm in that Holy of Holies thing, but I'm a first-generation Christian. Typically, there's some things true of me. My kids would be a second-generation Christian, typically. They don't have to remain there. But my kids' kids, typically would be a third-generation Christian that knows God. They got saved, but they don't know anything about His works. In the vernacular of Revelation chapter 3 where Jesus says, you're neither cold nor hot, but you're lukewarm, these are people we would be classified as cold. There's another group of people that don't just know God, they do. They know God, but they know about His works this is what is characteristic of second-generation Christians second-generation Christians found in Revelation chapter 3 they're lukewarm they're neither cold nor hot you're just right in the middle and you see you know what in the Laodicean church period our problem is y'all when people come into this area when they're in the holy place and they spend time in the word they they understand somewhat of of what it is to be a testimony and allowing the light of christ to shine through them we think that these people are hot those people are lukewarm there's another generation who know god and know his works and these are those that have made their way into the holy of holies Typically, it would be what is characteristic of a first-generation Christian, or what Revelation chapter 3 would refer to as those who are hot. Th- these are people, again, that have that relationship with God, where they, God is at work in their life, and they see that on a daily basis. Second-generation Christians look and see that in other people. They're able to see that many times in their parents. They can see God at work in them, but... He's not at work in them. They know about His works. And then that other group that just knows God and doesn't even know His works. We could relate this to the Great Commission. The Great Commission. What the Great Commission is, he he says that we are to go and teach all nations. Okay, the teaching of all nations, of course, is where we get the word make disciples. Teach all nations. means make disciples it's the beginning place it's where people get in okay it's salvation that's what it is and then he says all those that have become disciples baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and again in terms of the Great Commission there are some people who have been saved and baptized that's what goes in that outer court column they've been saved they've been baptized they attend church and they're gonna to go to heaven when they die and that's again i anyone want to fault that it's, it's wonderful but oh my goodness it is just such a beginning place there's there's something further in this next level you can move from just being saved and baptized to where you are taught to obey you see that's what the Great Commission says make disciples baptize them and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded and these are people they're taught to obey the Word of God these are people who get involved in the church they don't just attend these are people that come into that other level and they grow in grace and knowledge their life gets cleaned up and and they've stopped doing a lot of the other things they used to do when they were just saved and baptized and doing all that. Man, they've come to the place here to where, man, they're working on their thought life. They've stopped doing the habits that they, they used to do. Again, they're, they're in the Word of God and, 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 and they're allowing the light of God to, to shine in them. And, and, and they pray. They've got all of these, these things that are going on. But some people are content right there. They don't understand. There is another level. Now again, most pastors in this country would care to have people that would not just attend but would get involved, that would grow in grace and knowledge, that would clean up their life and begin to live a holy life. But listen, this is not the end. That's not the end. There is another place in reference to the Great Commission. He says, go. Go go, go and you make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've I've commanded, so then they can get in there, so that like Isaiah, they come into the presence of God, and seeing in the presence of God, they see things they never saw before and they hear things they've never heard before they get in there and begin to hear the voice of God crying out whom shall I send and who will go for us and people that have been taught to obey the Word of God because they came into a relationship with Christ and took that first step of obedience come into the Holy of Holies And when they hear the God of the universe crying out, who is going to go? And from the platform of a holy life, who is going to go and reach this world? Those people sing. What do they say? Amen. Here am I. Send me. That doesn't necessarily mean that they pack up a container get on a plane and fly to Belarus or to Manila or South America or some other place. But they go into their world because they've been in the holy of holies with the God of the universe and they've heard him cry out, Who's going to go? Who's going to reach this world with the gospel? And folks, listen. Do you understand that as a church, this is pretty much where we are? Some of you are new. and man, we're glad you're here. And because a good portion of people are are in this place, it's going to help you. This whole thing of discipleship, we'll be able to get you into this place a whole lot faster than it took most of us. Some of us have been at this thing for 25 and 30 years and are beginning to find out what goes on in this arena but you gotta understand that as a church we think we're all that in a bag of chips we're in that young man stage and we're in here and we're on a daily basis crying out to God oh God would you please help me to, to to deal with my thoughts would you help me to deal with my motives would you help me in all of these areas and you know what he's doing it And that's cool, but we've got to understand, man, that's not the end. All of this, all of this cleaning up is so that we can be effectively used for God to carry out the commission. And that's what this third group of people do. They carry out the commission. They go to the ends of the earth. They fulfill God's purpose for their life. And then... Let's apply this to our relationship with believers. Our relationship with believers. Not, not, not Oh my goodness, now, listen to this, because this, this is right where we are as a church now. In our relationship with other believers, when we're in this outer court, our relationship could be defined as mercy without truth mercy without truth you know what you get saved and baptized and you're in that outer court and man you just look around at everybody in the church and everybody that anywhere that claims to be a believer in Jesus Christ and man they are the most wonderful people in the world and if they you know if they do some things they mess up you know they have an affair or get drunk we all make mistakes you know mercy without truth these are people that are very non-discerning and accommodating these are people that and again there's some of us that are here and i'm not trying to dog it Just stating the facts in this area there, you have superficial friendships. You're saved and baptized and going to go to heaven when you die, but when you get with other believers, you, you talk about sports, you talk about fashion, you talk about current events. It's almost like you're continuing friendships the way that you had them when you were lost. It's just now you're going to go to heaven when you croak. You go to church on Sunday then you move into that next level and you come in here and now what typically happens can you already see it tell me what the the blanks are truth without what without mercy hey what in the devil you mean man you didn't have your devotions yesterday and you think you're a Christian you know what? I believe that your radio was on that secular station for 30 seconds. <laughs> and you think you're saved, man? You see, you, you, you get in here, and, and, and I'm, I'm pushing it to the extreme, but I do want you to understand something. When you get into this arena, this is where, where churches, you know what? There's churches that do not have a clue as to what this book is about. But, oh, my goodness, do they, man, they just love each other. And they're just licking all over each other every Sunday when they get together. And then you get to a church like this one. And, man, we can do the ins and outs of the book, baby, and we know this, we know that, and all that kind of stuff. And, buddy, don't make any mistakes, because if you do, you're written off. And we we disconnect fellowship because somebody's going through a, a appear to struggle in their life. Any anybody doing this Christian life thing and not struggling? We you, you gotta be careful. We become impatient and judgmental. And what's cool is in this level we do have you're gonna have to write small, fellowshipping friendships, where you do talk about the Bible. You do talk about church and what what's going on In this place uh, people being saved and all those kind of things and and that that stuff happens, but you got to understand something This ain't Where God wants us he doesn't want us here. He doesn't want us mercy without truth, but for God's sake he doesn't want us truth without mercy You can already see it coming in that next level with our relationship with other believers when we come into the presence of God We are people that are characterized as truth with mercy. These are people who, even though you may be struggling, are very loving and helpful. These are people who genuinely have the ability to minister to other people. These are people who... Their friendships, it's not just superficial. It's not just, you know, nice fellowship. These are people that have entered into accountability friendships. Accountability friendships. When they come together with their friends, they talk about God. They talk about His work. They talk about the world. And I don't mean in the negative sense. I'm talking about the world of people. Truth with mercy. You know what happened in, in, in the book of Third John? There was a lady there that loved everybody. And John writes to her and he says, Listen, you gotta understand, love is limited by truth. It does have parameters. And we're not talking about people that have gone into this, this holy of holy things. They're just like, well, you know, these things really don't matter that much. Let me just come alongside you and help you. Oh, they're going to come alongside and help, but buddy, they're going to come with that book. And they're going to say, now listen, I want to help you. This is what the book says. And I'm going to help you to come to the place in your life where you can begin to apply these things. I want to help you to be right with God. If I, if I could, church, and if you'll excuse us, those that are guests for just a minute, y'all just turn this off if you're a guest. You know what? We're, we're real good around here at seeing faults that people have because, because we're young men. The word of God abides in us. And that's great to be able to see those things. But when we see those things, what God wants to bring us to the place is to where we come alongside of those people and take them by the spiritual hand and say, you know, I'm a disciple, a new believer here, but let me, let me help you. Let me walk with you through life. And, and let me just spend some time helping you to overcome this area of failure or whatever it is in your life. And oh, church, listen. We've got to let God get us into that third level to where we begin to do that or we will end up biting and devouring one another. And Jesus said, listen, the way that the world is going to know that your mind is, you know it, by the love that we have for one another. In Psalm 85 and verse 10, listen to it. It says, mercy and truth are met together. Listen to it. Righteousness and peace have... Anybody know what it says? They've kissed each other. And that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about lowering the standard of righteousness. No, we're talking about righteousness and peace kissing each other. We're talking about mercy and truth being met together in our relationships with other people and then there is there's one final category and that's our relationship with unbelievers and for all of you that are worried about the whole rest of this passage obviously we're not going to get to everything else we're going to end on this okay so relax and start saying how does all this apply to me okay, okay now listen with our relationship with unbelievers you're, you're in that that first part in that outer area and you know what you have You have zeal without knowledge. you remember those days when you first got saved? And man, you were witnessing to everything that moved, anything that breathed. Dog, cats, animals of any kind, people, it didn't matter. Man, you just want to get that word out. And then, you know, here you are with your family. You got saved. It was the most wonderful thing. You pull them all together, and you cannot wait to be able to tell them what happened to you. And you tell them what happened to you, and then you turn the corner and you say, "And listen, unless this happens to you, you're gonna fry in the pit of hell. And I love you so much. I don't want you to go to hell and burn, and where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and the fire's not quenched. And I don't want you." And we just we give them all that stuff. All oh, this great zeal! But we don't have the knowledge to go with it to know how to, how to approach this thing. We witness with fervor, but we tend to be offensive. And then, as we move into this next area, what we end up with is, you can already see it coming, Knowledge without zeal. Hello? This is where we are, y'all. I mean, you know what? There are churches that don't know a tenth of what the people in this room know that reach people every week of their life. And I, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. We're trying to learn some things and apply some, some heavy-duty truths about this tabernacle, uh, trying to get this down into to our life. Can I just ask you, when is the last time you gave the gospel to some lost person? I mean, were you actually sat down and said, Okay, now here. Let me explain this to you. You see, in the beginning, God, when was the last time? My goodness, we've got this incredible knowledge, and man, we're driven every day to the, the table of showbread, man, and we're feeding on the bread of life. And man, the, the, the oil of the, the Holy Spirit is lighting it up, man, and illuminating it, and we know all kinds of stuff and now we have knowledge with no zeal you know what we do? We, we witness seldom we seldom witness and what we're really doing is saying well you know I'm at the place in, in my uh, Christian life there brother that uh, I'm just trying to let my light so shine before men that they may see my good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven and I'm just I'm just working on living the life wonderful great do it but somewhere along the way open your mouth and tell them why these good works are flowing out of you because you know what if you don't open your mouth they don't glorify your father which is in heaven they glorify you you know what he is just the best person He's just a a good old Joe, let me tell you, buddy. If you if you want someone to count on, count on him. Open your mouth. And you see people that are coming to that next level are people who have knowledge with zeal. These are people who are an effective witness for Christ. These are people who have learned according to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Listen to it. He says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. These are people that understand how to take their walk and use it with wisdom to be able to reach people. The next verse in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6, he says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, listen, so that you might know how to answer every man. Here's the way that it works, okay? He talks about in that third level, we've come to the place to where we've learned to season our conversations with lost people so that they are asking questions. You, through your life and through your, your communication verbally, you have learned to create a thirst in those people. And a great way for you to see this is if you've got a, if you've got a big old bowl of popcorn... You're going to sit down with, you know, whatever clean movie there is out there that you can rent a, a video in your home. You got this big old bowl of popcorn. You know what? It ain't much better than just seasoning that stuff with the right amount of salt. You just sit there with that thing, big old, you know, big old thing of Coke right there, and you just sit there and work that thing, you know, that salt and that... The popcorn in there just creates a thirst. You're just kind of working both of them, you know? Just working the corn, working the, working the coke, you know? And, and it, it's, it's, it's happening. It, it's right. But you see, what, what happens with these new believers that are in this outer court, the, the ones that have the zeal without knowledge, what they have is a big old bowl of salt seasoned with popcorn. And man, they're just, man, they're giving this thing out, and people are going... <laughs> Then you got the people in here and what they got is a big old bowl of popcorn. No seasoning. Is there anything worse on the planet than that? And some of us when when we do talk about Christ, it's very intellectual. And then there's other folks. And they've got that bowl of popcorn, baby, and it's just seasoned to perfection, man. (laughs) I'm asking you, when's the last time with the people in your circle of influence where somebody just said, you know what, could I just ask you some, some things? You know, you were talking earlier about, because you know what you did? You took the conversation when everybody was in in the break room, and you just threw a little salt in there with wisdom and went on your way. And there's some people that picked up on that thing, and it started creating a little thirst. And they come to your desk, or they come to you on the line, and they're saying, you know, what you said back there, that was, can I ask you about that? And so what you do is you answer it. You don't, okay, now I'm going to dump the truck. <laughs> you just throw a little more out there. And they ask a few little more questions. And pretty soon, they're coming to you and say, would you just bring it to the bottom line? You give them the gospel. They become children of God. And, and listen. Listen. This tabernacle thing, how far you want to go with it, you know? I mean, this thing applies to your life today. The true test is whether everything that we talked about today is going to be in your thought process when you wake up tomorrow. Let's see what happens when you enter your day. Let's see where where do we go. Do do we come and take up the cross and offer our body as a sacrifice? Asking for the daily cleansing, the washing of water by the word. Coming in and letting the light of the, the, the presence of God shine onto the bread of life that we may sustain our souls so that we can come and intercede for those in our, our, our world and, and understand that He is interceding for us so that we might we might come into, into that holy place where when that high priest went in there, he went in with bells on the bottom of his robe because if he didn't come in there completely cleansed, he died on the spot. And everybody's listening on the outside. Make sure they keep hearing those bells because when the bells stop, it means he's a goner. And they reel him in. God's done some great things in this church, y'all. I don't want I, I to discourage us about the fact that we're here. I just want to make sure that in our pride, we don't think that this is where we're supposed to be. Because there's a, a whole, whole other dimension. But when you come into that presence, let me tell you something. Pride is gone. And you are humbled in that place. And you become effective with other believers, with unbelievers, with your family. It's all in that next place. And I hope what God will do. It just takes some of this practical stuff, man. This is not the deep things of the Word. This is just this is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday stuff. This is just the stuff. You know what? Quite honestly, if you let it, it will change your life. Yeah, we're going to bust out the rest of the, the, the chapter. We'll we'll do that, and it's it's incredible, and it'll it'll fill our minds with some incredible knowledge. But this is where we are. Now, now, now listen. In our flocks time today, some of the questions, you don't need to read them now, I'm begging you don't. Some of the questions that are on the reverse side of this thing, have everything to do. In fact, every question is all related to everything that we talked about right here. And so that we might solidify this stuff in our life, I want to encourage you today to get to the, the flocks, if you're a guest with us today. We have a reception that we'd like to invite you to, uh, where you can meet the pastors of, of this church. We'd love to just have a cup of coffee with you, and a little snack, and just find out how you got here, and just spend a, a few minutes with you on a personal basis. We'd love to do that. Uh, just right out this door, take a left, and it's the first classroom on the, on the right. And We have a wonderful time in there every week, and we look forward to you coming. But now listen. Okay, now, now let, let's just chill for just a sec, okay? I don't know who all is in the room today. I'm quite sure that there are some people that came into this room today the same way that I walked into a church in Miami, Florida when I was 16 years of age. I had believed in God, didn't know a whole bunch about Him, but what I heard when I walked into that room grabbed me. And I began to understand that the God of the universe had provided a way through His Son and the sacrifice that He made for me to have access to His presence. That's what we've talked about here all through today. I don't know if you're like I was. Man, when I understood that I was a sinner, and that I I had already figured out there ain't no way I can get to that God because of who I am. And when I understood that He Himself became a man in the person of Christ and took my sin so that I didn't have to remain separated from Him, that rocked my world, man. And and maybe you're here today. And maybe some of the truths of the Bible, maybe they're beginning to, to sift down into your heart. Maybe you're beginning to understand What this thing is all about. That the God of the universe loves you, but because he's holy, sin must be paid. And so he paid it so you don't have to. And now, righteousness and peace, kiss. You, as a lost sinner, through Christ, can come and mercy and truth can meet together. And you can be a child of God. And that can happen for you today. If you have questions about that, if, if something is stirring inside of you today, could I encourage you to do this? In just a minute, we're going to be dismissed. And up on either side of the front of this room, our pastors are going to position themselves there. And we are inviting you to come and to talk to one of these men and just say, you know, I have questions about this. Or you can state it with whatever's going on in your world, but you don't, you don't have to, you know, I don't even know what I would say. Fine, just, just come up if God is stirring it. Nobody's gonna force you into making any decisions or anything like that. We have private counseling rooms on on the the other side of of this wall over here. If you're a woman, we'll have a woman that will get with you. If you're a man, we'll get a man that's with you. But we we would love the opportunity of talking to you today about the things that God is talking to you about. And if you'd let us help, we would love to do that. And so again, we, we invite you to come. And again, if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Christ, that's the beginning place. You know, don't don't get all caught up with I'm not sure I understand that whole tabernacle thing. No problem. Do you understand that God wants to have a relationship with you? You can't have it because of sin. He died, so you can. That's all you need to understand. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the tabernacle the the picture because we understand we're we're finite we understand lord that, that we can't really comprehend the the vastness of, of who you are and we we have a a difficult time comprehending spiritual truths and you have found a way to to graphically Picture these things so that we are able to grasp it. We're grateful. Thank you for what you have done in this church in in moving us along the the path of growth. And I pray today, Lord, that just through these simple things that we've talked about, I I pray that you might help us to see clearly where we still need to go and the things that we're still needing you to do in, in our in our midst and in our lives personally. Help us as a church to be not lukewarm. Help us to be hot and abide in Your presence. And Lord, again, I want to ask You for folks that are here today that have never received Christ. Lord, even now, by Your Spirit, convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I pray, Lord, that people that are in this room today, that through the preaching of Your Word, they would be drawn to receive You as their only hope of salvation today. I pray You'd give people the courage to to talk to one of our pastors so that you might perform this incredible miracle in their life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.